If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. How do natural disasters relate to urban development and vice versa? And what do we need to do to ensure that urban design and planning going forward takes into account the characteristics of any ecosystem so that our cities can be safer and more resilient against natural events? That's what we'll be exploring today in this Mini Bloom Tuesday episode, featuring our special guest who has a background in horticulture and also today studies landscape architecture and urban design focused on environmental policy and sustainable systems. She always shares really insightful commentary on Instagram, so you'll have to follow her as well after this conversation. Before diving in, I wanted to take a moment to first thank our sponsor of this episode, which is Made Trade. Made Trade is a new online marketplace for exceptionally designed, responsibly made goods, from ethical fashion to sustainably made home decor. You can also shop according to your values, discovering fair trade, sustainable, USA-made, vegan, and heritage products, all handmade by makers and artisans around the world. I'll share more at the very end along with an exclusive discount code just for you for the holidays, but for now, on to how natural disasters tie into the picture of sustainable design and development. Green Dreamer starting off with what got her interested in this topic and also in landscape architecture and urban design focused on environmental policy and sustainable systems. Here's Phoebe Lloyd. So what motivated me to link all of these fields together was uh, just last year, the citizens uh, where I live here in Denver, Colorado, voted on a green roof mandate that put a policy in place so that any new commercial building over 25,000 square feet would have to include a green roof into its infrastructure to help address climate change and environmental issues like stormwater runoff, urban heat island effect, energy efficiencies. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic to see that go in motion. And so, yeah, I became fascinated by the idea that the intersection of design, 
policy and eco-friendly ideologies could be effectively implemented into a rapidly growing city like Denver and that we could maybe use these concepts and the framework of policy as a way to help accelerate other sustainable systems. So I initially heard you talk briefly about this on your in your Instagram stories, which is what got me even more interested in just how natural disasters relate to sustainability and how all of this relates to how we're urbanizing. So in your experience, how do natural disasters relate to sustainability and vice versa? Yeah, so natural disasters are something I'm increasingly intrigued by, and it's something almost every urban planner has to account for on some level. Uh, When natural disasters do occur, people's health and lives are at risk, but I don't think that there's enough focus on the long-term effects of natural disasters on the surrounding area and people. You know, if you think about it, a lot of our built environment is comprised of toxic chemicals and carcinogenic materials. And when they're destroyed from their intended function and form, whether it be through a flood or fire or what have you, all of a sudden these toxic compounds leach into our water or off gas into our air. And then people suffer the long-term health consequences. So to me, the idea of using more sustainable and eco-friendly materials should be industries we should really start investing in more, considering natural disasters are inevitable and even more so now being exacerbated by, by climate change. So it's great that like when these natural disasters do occur, while they are a terrible thing for our people and communities, they almost are giving us an opportunity to have a blank slate for us to reevaluate how we build and grow in urban areas and uh, embrace more sustainable and nature-inspired design. And I remember you talking about this in regards to the recent devastating wildfires in California and how it's really not just like wood or natural materials being burned. It's all of the toxic chemicals used in carpets, all of the VOCs, um, the paint, all of these building materials and all of our consumer products, like everything that burned and, you know, off-gassed into the environment. So all that pollution, it's not just smoke, but a lot of toxic chemicals as well. Yeah, it's a pretty rich cocktail <laughs> of, <laughs> of, yeah, dangerous compounds that um, we don't directly address as being a part of these natural disasters. And I guess you mentioned this as well, but same thing with flooding. If these chemicals run off into rivers and lakes, we don't really know the impact of that yet. Or I guess we can kind of intuitively foresee what that would be like, but... Yeah, and it's scary <laughs> that um, there's we don't have uh, methodologies or systems to really remove those from our environment. There are ways through bioremediation and using plants as a way to do that, but that's still a huge uh, industry that needs a lot more research and funding and implementation. So we're we could very much be breathing this air right now. I mean, indoor air pollution is often worse than outdoor air pollution. And also with our drinking water, could these chemicals also end up in our drinking waters if the water treatment plants don't have the right 
technologies to be able to remove all these chemicals? Oh, most definitely. And uh, the scary part is that a lot of our water treatment facilities today still don't have the technology to remove a lot of the chemicals that are known to be in our waterways. Um, according to the EPA, um, they do test for um, heavy metals and toxic chemicals, and there is a certain level that um, is required to be drinkable. And a lot of these water, access to these water are exceed the EPA limits, and yet we are still drinking them. So, yeah. Yeah. My understanding <laughs> is that we can only filter out chemicals that we know exist and also have the technologies to filter out. But if there are all these like unknown chemicals there, then we don't have the technology to filter it out. So we're kind of like guinea pigs at this point. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it feels like we just need a more preventative approach to begin with rather than, uh, you know, trying to fix the issue after it's happened. Yeah. And you know what? That right there, I think, is a uh, great metaphor for our current climate as a whole. We know what we're doing and we know our behavior probably isn't a good idea for the planet yeah. and our environment. And yet we continue to build um, and ignore the signs uh, that nature's trying to tell us purely based on the idea of, of ease and convenience as well as making profits. So yeah, like you said, in the case of the wildfires, the amount of urban development around uh, these communities like Paradise prohibited the government from exercising routine controlled burns as a way to naturally manage their forests mm -hmm. and take precautions to prevent huge catastrophic fires such as this. And then in the case, you know, in the floods in Houston, Texas, real estate developers were very well aware they were building in floodplains, but because they wanted to keep building more of the same infrastructure for cheap instead of perhaps redesigning or redeveloping areas that could have benefited from that, you know, again, many people suffered. And again, yeah, it goes into everything and every re resource we rely on, our air and our water, as well as our food. Those are the long-term consequences that uh, natural disasters hasn't really <laughs> revealed its unhead yet. <laughs> yeah, this actually touches upon my next question for you. So mm -hmm. obviously this topic is a lot more complex than I personally understand and also deserves a lot more time than we have right now for this brief conversation. But it feels like across the board, oftentimes we urbanize without necessarily taking into account that ecosystem's characteristics, which might then make urban developments more vulnerable to natural conditions there. So, for example, we build cities in deserts like Southern California. Well, they're likely going to face a lot of droughts. Uh, we, you know, remove swamps and wetlands to build homes and pavement that doesn't absorb water. It's likely that these areas will get heavy rainfall and flood. Or we drill holes in places already prone to natural earthquakes. We're probably going to get even more earthquakes in those areas. So how do we get here and how do we work with this going forward? You know, with natural disasters... They are natural. They're going to happen. <laughs> and um, a lot of it does come down to human activity, but a lot of it isn't up to us how and when it happens. So in terms of going forward, we have to be more mindful 
of why and where and how we are approaching development and start really embracing more sustainable innovations and systems and materials within our built environment. And, you know, this also, this circles back to the policy factor. We can use it and our democratic system as a way to protect not only our natural resources and the land in form of sustainable development, but the citizens who are affected by disasters and prevent this growth from happening in these sensitive areas. So how did we even get here in the first place? And what can we as individuals do going forward? Like, what was it that inspired Denver to mandate all new developments over a certain size have to have green roofs? Well, that right there is a wonderful example of a grassroots effort. <laughs> it was literally the brainchild of uh, one man. His name is Brandon Reitenmeyer. He's not affiliated with the industry at all in construction or plants or design. He manages a restaurant and he felt compelled that, you know, there's something happening bigger than me and I want to get involved and I want to be the change. And he uh, adopted a model from uh, Toronto, Canada, that has a similar policy, found some like-minded individuals and found some political and design professionals as uh, mentors. And he kind of just literally went knocking door to door and talked to him about how great it would be to have a greener city, got enough signatures, got it on the ballot. And then Denver is becoming more and more of a progressive city, but uh, it just shows that uh, one person can really be the change and tip the scales when it comes to influencing others to think more sustainably. That's really empowering to know because I feel like oftentimes when we think about environmental policy or you know natural disasters or urban development, they feel like massive things that we may not necessarily have control over as individuals. So just to know that this has happened and we can continue um, supporting that, that's that makes me really hopeful at least. <laughs> oh, it makes me so hopeful. And this too and is just such a wonderful example. The, the mandate itself, when it was first introduced, had a lot of limitations. Um, it focused only on green roofs and it only a certain amount of commercial buildings would be able to host this infrastructure. But they had a task force of people from the city, designers and politicians all come together to rework the, the wording. And within the past year, it's evolved from a green roof mandate to a green building mandate and now is more inclusive of all commercial buildings to include solar, passive cooling, energy offsets, just a whole umbrella of ways to lower carbon emissions and be more of a sustainable city as a whole. So it's really cool to see just one idea and one movement evolve through all these different systems and all these different people with vested interests into something that actually serves the greater good Amazing. in a bigger way. Yeah. yeah. I really hope other cities will learn from Denver leading by example going forward. And back to this ideal of natural disasters and sustainability, what can we do if anything, to decrease the frequency and severity of natural de disasters, if that's even possible? Or, or what can we do to help strengthen our resilience against them when they occur? 
So that's the thing. Natural disasters are natural. <laughs> they are going to happen. However, some human activity does increase their chances of happening. For instance, fracking operations and drilling for natural gas. We pump massive amounts of water in, into our bedrock which pretty much is the equivalent of giving our earth a giant root canal. And it almost is shuddering in pain in the form of an earthquake. So with that, you know, as an example that we're tampering with our earth's natural systems, and that is legitimately something we can stop doing. But in terms of resilience, as we've seen with the floods and hurricanes that have been happening here, understanding how we can better design cities to handle these types of occurrences whether it be through infrastructure or policy, is something we really need to start taking account for instead of just providing resources and aid once it does happen. Again, going back to being more preventive than uh, trying to fix the issue after the fact. Exactly. So what would your biggest piece of guidance or simple action step you'd like to leave us with in terms of how we can help make the most impact individually? Wow. <laughs> it is, um, it's a really big scope, this lens of urban sustainability. But I think that getting involved in um, your local politics, understanding what kind of policies are in place if and when a natural disaster occurs, for you to understand how legislation is working in your favor, but also the environment's favor in your local community, and then seeing if there's a place for you, your voice, your family, or your business as a way to adopt some of these ideals or put some pressure on uh, your local government. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. We would, of course, love to keep learning from you. So where can we go to follow you online and on social media? You can find me on my blog, which is bearchange.org. I share all about my journey of learning sustainable design and how to get involved with environmental activism. And I post almost daily on my Instagram, bearchange, about ways we can individually take action to live greener and healthier lives by being active citizens and conscious consumers. And yeah, I hope to inspire others to be the change too. And that's a wrap for this Bloom Tuesday. My take is that public health and safety, generally speaking, is always among the top concerns for policymakers. So if we can further emphasize, as Phoebe mentioned, the added danger of toxic chemicals used in consumer products and building materials that can get into our water and air in large quantities from natural disasters, maybe we'll be able to motivate policymakers to pay more attention to the use of toxic materials in everything across the board that's both harmful for human health and for our ecosystem. To put it another way, I feel like we can be much more effective in our messaging if we were to frame environmental issues more so as public health and safety concerns rather than environmental concerns. Even though obviously we know everything is connected, but just, you know, instead of getting policymakers or people who don't already care about sustainability to care for the environment, to show them how these issues directly impact their safety and health, because that will hit much closer to home. I'm always trying to dig deeper and learn more. So if you have any thoughts that you want to share with me, uh, you're always welcome to get in touch through our website's contact page. 
And before closing off, I wanted to really recommend you check out our sponsor for this episode, especially if you want to shop ethically made products for the holidays but aren't sure where to start. Made Trade is a beautifully curated online marketplace for exceptionally designed, responsibly made goods. You can discover sustainable, fair trade, USA made, and vegan products from clothing to shoes, and even home decor and lighting. Their marketplace is just absolutely stunning. You can tell they've really put a lot of thought in everything they do, and their vibrant aesthetic also just makes me really happy. To thank you for being here, you can get $15 off your first purchase this holiday season with the promo code DREAMER, and you can shop now at madetrade.com. That's M-A-D-E-T-R-A-D-E dot com. Made Trade Ethically Elevated. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You'll be able to find links and resources from this episode at greendreamer.com slash 93 for episode 93. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Kamea Shane. Finally, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.